All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 12th day of February 2019. And as always, I'd like to remind you, I am the editor of a newsletter that focuses on the mining sector, in particular, the precious metals mining sector. It's Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Sec. Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks is the name of the newsletter. Go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com to sign up for my letter, or you can call our office here in New York at 718-457-1426. 718-457-1426 during normal work hours. Uh, also, like to encourage you to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter. Chenpicks.com is the place to go for that. Chenpicks.com. If you're interested in cutting-edge biotechnology issues. They're high-risk, high-return stories that Chen focuses on. Chen's letter is uh, the best I know of for that field, so you may want to consider subscribing to ChenPicks.com. Or if you'd like to just really uh, have a good sense of where all manner of markets are heading, to know whether we're in bull markets or bear markets, highly recommended in this letter, or in this news, in this radio show, is Michael Oliver's newsletter, OliverMSA.com. OliverMSA.com is the place to go to, uh, and we'll be talking to Michael just uh, in a few, in a couple of minutes from now. Uh, thank you for listening to this show. Thank you for making it one of the more, one of the more uh, well listened to shows at the Voice America Business Channel. And we also like to encourage you to send your questions or your comments along to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions the number four Taylor at gmail. Dot com And, of course, we do want to thank our sponsors because without them we would not have a show. Our sponsors that make this show economically viable today are RN Resources, Great Bear Resources, which we're really pleased to have join us because of their uh, phenomenal success uh, at Red Lake. Novo Resources is another one, Triumph Gold, Gold Mining Inc., Uranium Energy, and Miramont Resources. And I'll be talking uh, to the Vice President of Explorations from Triumph Gold after our first commercial break today. I've titled today's show, Pierre Lassonde's Views of the Gold Mining Sector. As the title of our show implies, our main guest this week is the legendary investor, Canadian gold mine investor, Pierre Lassonde. Also joining us this week will be uh, Dr. Barassi. Uh, he's the Vice President of Exploration of Triumph Gold, as I just noted, and uh, he'll give us an update on that company's multi-million ounce free gold mountain project in the Yukon. Some very exciting things, uh, exploration results in 2018, he'll bring us up to date on that. And in just a moment, as I mentioned, Michael Oliver will give us his ideas, not his ideas, what the market is telling him about what's going on in 
the markets that we care most about. Regarding Pierre Lassonde, uh, if you are a gold mining investor who buys Canadian-based gold stocks, I'm guessing Pierre Lassonde needs no introduction to you. But for those of you who may not know him, he is the co-founder of the largest natural resource royalty company, Franco Nevada. In fact, I think it's fair to say that Pierre actually created the royalty business model for publicly traded companies in the gold mining sector. And there are few companies, if any, that have done as well as Franco Nevada. Franco Nevada was born in 1982, and over the next 20 years, the company provided shareholders with a 36% annualized rate of return. Franco Nevada was acquired by Newmont Mining Corp. in February of 2002 for $3.2 billion, at which time Pierre became the president and vice, and vice chairman uh, at Newmont. That was in 2000, uh, up, up until 2007. He also served as chairman of the World Gold Council from 2005 to 2009. So we are really honored to have Pierre with us. He'll be with us the second half of the show. But we're also really honored to have Michael Oliver with us once again. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Hi, Jay. Really always good to have you here because you are the reliable voice, at least for me, and I think a lot of my listeners agree that you provide a certain stability in a, in a market that sometimes isn't all that stable, although I think your comments on gold suggest that you feel gold is quite stable now. What are you seeing in the gold markets? I mean, it seems to be kind of boring, really, Michael. It doesn't seem to be going anywhere. We had a little, ex- a little excitement a couple of weeks ago, but right now it's just sort of seems to be just sort of chugging along. Well, it's, uh, there's a difference this time in this rally up into the 1300s from the the last low was 1161 in August. Um, so it's been a decent up move percent-wise, but observe a few other markets at the same time. In particular, we think that the alternative to developed market stock indices or the S&P 500, the alternatives are basically uh, two, two major market areas, government bonds, U.S. government bonds that actually yield something, <laughs> unlike German and Japanese bonds. Uh, that's one alternative. And it's been uh, strong since December. Um, you know, as the stock market collapsed, the T-bonds went up, and it made sense to us. But it's also been erratic. Uh, the T-bonds surge big, then pull back sharply, surge again, pull back. So they're, they're definitely a, a nervous alternative to mm-hmm. uh, fleeing money from the stock market. Gold's tone, especially since October, has been extremely resolute and unflinching. Uh, for instance, we're, you know, we're a couple weeks off the high now. Uh, it was about two weeks ago. We got up to thirteen twenty-five intraday on the spot contract February gold. Uh, we've had a pullback of less than one percent. Normally, in these prior up moves that get above thirteen hundred, is very erratic movement, a lot of volatility, a lot of swings. This is not. It's like a fist of steel rising slowly. And even when the stock market, uh, as money flowed out of the stock market between October and December, gold, of course, was firm during that time. Not explosive, just constantly firm. Mm-hmm. But then the stock market turned and is having what we consider a very scary bear market rally, or a reach-back rally, we call it. We mm-hmm. think it's topped. We think this is a nonsense rally to, to confuse and to intimidate the shorts and confuse everybody else. But the, the gold alternative, which definitely you know, came on the scene starting from October. Uh, remember, stocks topped in September, and, and gold was firming in September, October, November, December, all while stocks collapsed. But while the stock market's rally, gold has not given up ground, it's gained ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nobody's noticing this. And it's doing it despite the fact 
that the dollar index remains firm. It's not really going up a lot, the dollar index, but it's not giving up its ground. Basically, we're trading dollar index now where it was at the peak in August. So you can sort of draw a line across the August high in the dollar index through most of the action since then, and we're either side of 96 on the on the dollar index right now at about mm-hmm. 96 and a half, I think. So, but the dollar is uh, definitely in, supposedly intimidating gold. At least that's what I read in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, there's an article today in the, about how uh, the strong dollar uh, is hurting gold. Well, I uh, I look at the dollar is not really that strong, and gold's not pulling back. So mm-hmm. I don't know where this information comes from. But yeah. I think the tonal nature of gold is, is very important right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of a sideline technical is the it's mm-hmm. not giving up turf. Uh, the gold mm-hmm. miners, um, GDX is what we focus on, uh, and GDXJ. But GDX has gained a lot of ground since August as well, more than gold has on a percent basis. But still, it's it's lagged gold at the last several years. And our measurements indicate that I think uh, once you get gold through 1350, 1360, which we think will happen, at that point in time, we're confident that the GDX will be outperforming gold on an ongoing basis. So it's probably the better place to be. But it's also unflinching. If you look at its mm-hmm. action over the last uh, several months or so, mm-hmm. uh, they had some resistance around 21 on the GDX because there's some price chart resistance there. We cleared that. Now we're up above 22, and it's just quietly nestled here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that it's also saying something. So, uh, again, as gold and the gold miners is an alternative to fleeing money from the stock market, you can either go to bonds, which are erratic, but the gold market is just quiet and firm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's important, Michael, because, uh, of course, you know, one measure of risk, of course, is, is volatility, right? Volatility of, right. of returns. And if I hear you correctly, what you're saying is there's more risk, as defined by volatility, in the treasury markets than there are in the gold markets, in gold bullion yeah, and gold uh, shares? Also, the, the, the tonal nature indicates to me that the bids are strong in gold. Uh-huh. In other words, they're not chasing it higher. They're not letting it flinch on the downside. So every time you, you get a setup where you think, oh, we're going to get a good correction here, quote, unquote. We, I've heard that all the way up from most technicians. Uh, you don't get one. You know, you spend two weeks trying to go down and you give up a percent, you know, and uh, it's, it's, it's resolutely bought on dips. And the dips, they're not waiting for a 3 or 5% correction to buy. They're waiting for 1% dips to buy. Somebody's buying it. I don't mean somebody as an individual, but the bidders are very aggressive in the sense that they, they're not waiting for sharp drops. And I think that says something. Of course, the question is why are they so resolute in their determination to buy gold? And I think the answers are abundantly clear. But uh, anyway, it, it's, I think the tonal nature is very important on gold. All right, Michael. Um, I don't know about timing with you. you I, I, have, I feel very confident in terms of knowing which side of the market I should be on at any given time. But I took out some calls, some 22 and a half calls, March, uh, with the maturity March 22nd, GDX, uh, 22 and a half. I think it's around $21.10 or 15 cents, something like that now. Do you think I can make some money by the middle no, of uh, by March 22nd? Right now, Jay. <laughs> what GDX is it? GDX is at 22, so you're only half point out of the money. Now, I, I okay. can't venture an opinion on uh, specific options and things like sure. that, but I think that. Uh, I don't think between now and, let's say, a month and a half from now that the GDX is going to be declining. I think it's probably going to be higher levels than it is now, possibly sharply higher. I think the, the issue for GDX, and we, we look at its technicals, but we also look at gold's technicals because visualize it this way. Gold is the mama. It has a leash, 
and the little puppy dogs are the GDX and the GDXJ <laughs> and all the miners. They, they uh, run ahead of it. They run behind it. They're erratic. I think mm-hmm. that erratic nature in the gold miners will cease as soon as gold clears about 1350, 1360. I think at that mm-hmm. point, the, the miners will grow a backbone, <laughs> so mm-hmm. to speak, and you can trust the integrity of their technicals at that point. So our yeah. focus now is on gold, but once gold gets through that uh, mid-1300 level, I think the, the miners will be the place to be, and also they'll, their tonal nature will change, uh, and they'll outpace gold. Yeah. As more serious money comes into the sector, I suppose that yeah, probably be likely. Yeah, it's a small sector after all. I mean, if you get some money flowing yeah. in the stock market, there, there are very few places that are performing well right now. Mm-hmm. Look across mm-hmm. the board. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm talking performing over the last six months, a year, and so right. forth. Uh, this is an area yeah. that somebody's picked on it, and they're, they're moving money into it. Michael, with 30 seconds, um, the dollar, you mentioned gold is performing well in spite of the fact that the dollar has been steady and, and somewhat strong even. Uh, how is the dollar looking to you now, medium term, long term? Uh, medium term, I think it's, it's topped out, but uh, it, it keeps coming back up to the 97 level, 96, 97 zone. And so it doesn't act like it's topped out when you look at the price. But when I look at momentum, it, it indicates the best bet is to assume that this congestion that we've had since August is really topping action. Uh, it's very unvolatile, by the way, uh, dollar. Mm-hmm. It got up here, like I said, in August. And uh, the euro is the prime factor in keeping the dollar firm. The yen's had a good rally. The British pound's had a good rally. But the euro uh, is sort of stuck on the floor down around 113 yeah. to 115 zone. Yeah. And I think you've got to watch the euro for, for the shift in the dollar. Uh, All right. And they're both sort of stuck in a range. But the, the, certainly a firm dollar, which is what the, the, the press says, has not hurt the gold market. Yeah, that's very, very important, I think. Well, thank you, Michael. We'll have to leave it go with that. This is all Thank the time we have for this segment. Uh, look to talk to you next week, folks. Uh, we got to go to break, but don't go away because Tony Baresi, Vice President of Exploration with Triumph Gold, one of my favorite stories, he's going to be with us right after the break to talk about the 2018 Exploration Program, what they've accomplished, and maybe take a look towards 2019. So don't go away. We'll be right back uh, after the break with Tony Baresi. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Novo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold Project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Gold Mining Inc., ticker symbol G-O-L-D on the T-S-X and G-L-D-L-F on the O-T-C is the biggest bet for gold investors and legendary investors like Doug Casey, Rick Rule, and Marin Katusa, who put millions of dollars into backing the company, along with institutional investors. The insiders own over 20%. Gold mining has strong cash and no debt. It's one of the top 1% of gold companies that has over 20 million ounces of gold resources. Visit goldmining.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Times and Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again Dr. Tony Barassi, Vice President of Exploration for uh, Triumph Gold. It's really a story that I've been focusing on in my newsletter quite a lot uh, this year, and it's one of my, personally, one of my favorite stocks as well. Uh, Dr. Barassi has uh, been with us before. Uh, he's had a very impressive record in the exploration field and um, a very impressive academic background as well. Uh, but, of course, academia is one thing. What we're interested in is making money. And I think uh, a lot of the progress that's been made by this company this year, 2018, uh, may be putting us on the track uh, for some success in that regard. I should mention before we say hello to Dr. Barassi that Triumph Gold trades in Canada under the symbol TIG. You can buy it down here in the States, as I have, under the symbol TIGCF. 81 million shares outstanding, and I saw a little earlier today, anyway, it was trading at 31 cents in U.S. money, giving a market cap of only around $25 million, which I think is really remarkable, considering the promise this company seems to have on its exploration front in the Yukon. Uh, interesting also to note that Gold Corp owns about 18% of the stock. Institutions hold another 46.5%. Directors and officers own over 5%, uh, leaving a float of only about 30%. Uh, so. I think this is really important also to note the, the kind of shareholders that are in this company uh, present a stability uh, to, the, to the stock, which is very, very important uh, as well in this industry. So uh, I think that's another big plus. Uh, Tony, thank you for joining me again. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show again. It's really good. It's, it's, when we can get you away from looking at rocks and talking to people, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's quite an accomplishment, I think, because... Your love is obviously looking at rocks and understanding the geology and how Mother Nature put things there. Um, but your, your Free Gold Mountain project in the, in the Yukon is really a huge project. Um, I think, have you completed, did you, your, um, obviously your, your drill program 2018 is completed. Have you, all the, real, all the results back, all the assays back, have you been able to pull that all together and start thinking about a 2019 program, or is that still in the works? So we, uh, in 2018, we, we conducted one of the most aggressive drill programs that was conducted in, in the Yukon Territory this, this summer. We drilled about 18,000 meters, and uh, we have received all of those assays, and we've released all of those results. Uh, just because we've released the results doesn't mean we fully understand exactly uh-huh. what they all mean. Uh, but, you know, w- w- we had some, some really keen geologists on site all summer that were incorporating um, everything that we were seeing coming out of the drill holes uh, as it was coming out. So, so we have developed a pretty robust geological model. So we've put out a number of different results from a number of different areas that we've drilled. Uh, the real highlight of what we discovered this summer is something that we're calling the, the blue sky zone porphyry. Uh, it has that note, that name because the, the year before we identified an 
area that had never been drilled that had lots of prospective rocks in it, and we called it the Blue Sky Zone. Uh, and then this year, we, we drilled it, and we hit um, a porphyry system. Uh, and the great thing about this porphyry system is that it's, it's the highest-grade porphyry system that's ever been hit in the Yukon Territory. Um, and I was just at a, at a conference in Vancouver, uh, AME's Roundup, where it's mm-hmm. acknowledged by the Yukon government that this is actually uh, the intersections that we've made of this porphyry system are the highest grade porphyry uh, highest grade porphyry related rocks um, that have ever been encountered in the Yukon. An example would be uh, we had one hole that had 316 meters of 1.1 gram per ton gold, 5 gram silver, and 0.27 percent copper. That's the kind of grade and the kind of um, drill hole length um, that represents a volume of rock that could potentially economically be mined in the Yukon. So we're really making big strides in our, in our blue sky zone. Yeah, that is a very exciting, phenomenal intersection. I, I guess you put a couple of other holes down into the porphyry as well from another angle, I believe. Um, is that right? And you, how many have you put down into this system so far? Uh, we've hit the high-grade material with eight holes. So mm-hmm. that's the longest intersection that I just read to you, but there's a whole bunch of other really impressive intersections through this body. If you look at a cross-section or a 3D model of the thing, it's basically continuously mineralized um, through, the, through the zone of mineralization. So, you know, if you were to if you were to mine this thing, the whole thing would be uh, pay dirt. It's not like uh, some types of deposits where, you know, there's, there's some stuff that's higher grade and some that's lower, and, uh, and you sort of have to separate the, the good from the bad. It should be uh, pretty easy then with that kind of continuity to, to uh, statistically to come up with a resource, I suppose, after you have sufficient number of drill holes put down. That's right. Well, so, you know, with any of these sorts of things, there's a bunch of boxes that need to be ticked off. And on our property, there's, there's some boxes that were sort of ticked off before we even really started the exploration. Mm-hmm. For instance, we have great infrastructure. Um, you know, everybody knows there's lots of gold in the Yukon, uh, but one of, the, one of the things that makes it difficult to do exploration in the Yukon is that there's not a lot of uh, infrastructure, but mm-hmm. our property has a road that runs right off of the... Uh, the uh, Klondike Highway right onto our property and through our property. We drag drills in, move them around on the property um, along roads, and so there's no need for helicopter. And those same infrastructure um, benefits will will, uh, make it that much easier to, to one day become a mine. But now the other thing that we're checking off on the property is that we've got high grade mineralization. Uh, and, you know, to, to have a porphyry-style deposit, um, you need to have a certain grade of mineralization. And we're looking at, if you combine the gold and the silver and the copper, greater than 1% copper equivalent mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. most of these holes. So that's another box that we're checking off. The next box that we need to check off is volume. We really need to have a lot of this rock. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that you can't just check off in a year. It's the kind of thing that you need to do a lot of drilling to define a, a large volume of rock. Mm-hmm. Have you done any metallurgical studies yet at all? 
So over the blue sky zone, we haven't done any metallurgical work yet, uh, but there are similar styles of mineralization nearby where we actually have um, current 43101 uh, resources. Uh, so there's an area adjacent to, uh, adjacent to the blue sky zone that uh, we call revenue, and that has uh, a significant amount of metallurgical work that's been done, and, and it's very positive. There's over 90% recovery of gold um, in unoptimized um, uh, metallurgical tests. Tony, I imagine that you have not yet pulled together your plans, your drill plans um, for 2019, but do you see the blue sky as being a major focus uh, for 2019? I would, I would guess it has to be, given these exciting intercepts. Absolutely, yeah. So you can't sort of drill something like this and not follow up on it. Um, and there are a number of opportunities to explore for extensions of the blue sky zone near surface. Uh, but what we're really excited about for 2019 is uh, a, a concept, an idea that's come out of our drilling of the blue sky. And I guess I'll just step back for, uh, for a minute and, and sort of tell you what brought us into the blue sky in the first place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, in 2016, we did a desktop study and we were looking purely at exploration potential for the property. So we were stepping away from the pre-existing resources and we identified that the pre-existing resources were contained within a very large very intense multi-element soil anomaly. And we came up with a number of reasons to believe that that soil anomaly was related to a very large hydrothermal system of which the two resource areas were just little postage stamps within. So whereas previously there was always the thought that it could possibly be just dispersion of <clears throat> elements near surface in the soils or leakage from the deposit areas. We propose that the whole thing is one very large hydrothermal system. We've stepped out now over the last two years into the, all kinds of areas within the soil anomaly and everywhere we've hit mineralization that's porphyry-related. Mm. Mm. But... The highest grade mineralization is where there's ground preparation, so where there's faulting that's allowed fluids to come up to high crustal levels. Well, now what we think is that this entire six-kilometer area is underlain by something that's much larger and much better mineralized than anything that's near the surface. So wow. we're just looking at little sniffs of what all of this is coming up from. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that promotional guys will say all the time whenever you go to a mining conference right. or something. Well, but we we've got a bunch of, exactly. But we've got a bunch of uh, scientific data that shows that this almost has to be the case. Um, we have a whole bunch of geochronology, and that's where you know the age of the, of the rocks. And all of the rocks that are at surface in this six kilometer area are about 30 million years older than the mineralization itself. And that means that there has to be an intrusion at depth underneath this that is the source of the metals and fluids that has caused the mineralization. And just wherever there were leaks up to the near surface is where there's the high grade mineralization. 
So because on the, on the quality of that evidence, we've decided that next year we're going to drill, one, drill the Yukon's deepest hole under the Yukon's richest porphyry. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to call her a hole right behind the blue sky porphyry. And we're going to drill right down that sucker until we get into this causative intrusion that we propose is there. And this is exactly the same kind of story that uh, Saul Gold had for Cascabel. You know, they had a big hydrothermal footprint and they drilled down a high grade zone knowing that there had to be a blind intrusion under there and they hit mm-hmm. it. And a few years later, they had a 12 million ounce gold resource. Well, it's uh, going to be fun fun to watch, uh, for sure. One of the drivers we'll be keeping our eyes on this year. What uh, might the depth of that hole be? Tony, do you have a sense of how deep you'll go? So we're not sure exactly where the co- how deep the causative intrusion is. It can't be super deep, like 2,000 meters, 2 kilometers or 2,000 meters or anything like that, or it wouldn't have this vast hydrothermal footprint near surface. It could be as shallow as sort of the extent of our current drilling, which is about 450 meters um, vertical extent, or it could be as deep as a kilometer and a half. We just don't know. We conducted some uh, deep penetrating geophysics at the very end of the season, and that's some some data that we're still um, we we've really just received, and we're uh, uh, we're beginning to incorporate it into our ideas, and and we'll be releasing that data um, in a press release at some point over the next month or two as well. Okay, with just a couple of minutes left yet, uh, you know, your, your project, when you picked it up from the prior operators, already had, I think, collectively over three deposits. You had over four million gold equivalent ounces. Uh, and uh, I think uh, maybe the nucleus and the revenue deposits um, up close to the blue sky there uh, had three million ounces between them. But I believe you, you believe there's a lot more potential in that area um, between those deposits, in and around those deposits, Right. Yeah, so that's really what we've been uh, working hard on over the last couple of years is to to show that those two deposits, really when those two deposits came out um, or, or when the resources for those deposits came out, they're, they're great resources. There's you know millions of ounces of gold, uh, but they didn't demand a capital investment. And what we really needed uh, was a resource that was going to be economic, today, at today's metal prices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why we shifted our focus from those resources to um, exploration potential. Uh, and we identified exploration potential in this sort of world-class soil anomaly that surrounds uh, the, the revenue <coughs> nucleus resource areas. And we tested about five different areas um, between the between and adjacent to revenue and nucleus. And in every single one of those places that we tested, we found porphyry or epithermal style mineralization. And in Mm. most of the places, we found mineralization that's higher grade than what's contained within the resource itself. So that was proof of concept (coughs) that, that this whole area is part of a very large hydrothermal system. The work that we've done in Blue Sky, which is one of the areas that's adjacent to uh, the resource areas, is what's really given us the confidence to say that the mineralization is related to something that's very large and buried beneath all of this. 
Well, wow, it's uh, extremely exciting, Tony. How, how's your treasury right now? Are you going to have to raise the money to do uh, what I imagine will be a fairly expensive program next year? That's right. We're looking at drilling. Our plan for this year is to do a, another very aggressive program, probably drilling about 15,000 meters. Uh, and some of those meters will be more expensive than what we've done before because we'll be drilling these very deep holes. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so we're looking about at probably something close to about a $5 million program. And mm-hmm. that's not dissimilar from what we've done the last two years with uh, financings um, related to Gold Corp buying into our company and a number of other um, investments that, that have been made over the last few years. Uh, and yes, we will be um, looking to, to raise some money for, for the upcoming uh, program. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it go at that. Tony, thank you so much for being with us today. Very exciting story. And I hope we can keep up with you or your colleagues in the future as you, uh, as you begin your work in 2019. Thank you so much. Oh, it's All right. my pleasure. Thank you for your interest, Jay. You bet. All right, folks. Well, don't go away. Uh, we got to go to break. But when we come back, we're going to have Pierre Lassonde with us. What a treat to have Pierre Lassonde. Uh, on this show, um, we're going to find out what he's thinking about the gold mining sector now as we uh, start this new year. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Pierre Lasson. Triumph Gold holds a 100% interest in the district-scale Free Gold Mountain Gold Copper Project in Yukon with a government-maintained road accessing their 200-square-kilometer property. The 2018 drill program has resulted in exciting discoveries to date, hitting the richest intersection ever in a porphyry system in Yukon. The company is well-funded and has a large institutional holding, including Gold Corp and Zijin Mining. Triumph trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol TIG and the OTC markets TIGCF. The website is triumphgoldcorp.com. Uranium Energy Corp, NYSE, American UEC, is America's emerging uranium producer. The company is 100% unhedged and has fully permitted and licensed processing plant and production-ready uranium assets in South Texas and Wyoming. With the rising uranium spot price, UEC is positioned to lead and supply to the U.S. uranium requirements ahead. Visit uraniumenergy.com and on Twitter at Uranium Energy. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time on this show, Pierre Lasson. For most of you who are investors in the mining sector, in the Canadian mines, especially the mining sector, you would know the name Pierre Lasson. 
Uh, he was the, uh, the co-founder of Franco Nevada Mining Corporation in 1982, a remarkable company that, that did extremely well for its investors. Uh, over the 20-year period, provided investors um, with uh, shareholders in, in that company with a 36% annualized rate of return. Uh, the company was acquired by Newmont Mining Corp. in February of 2002. And Pierre became president and vice chairman of the company, and he served as uh, also uh, on the World Gold Council from 2005 to 2009. And, and um, Pierre is, uh, has a very rich ba- academic background as well, degrees in engineering and law in business and a host of honorary degrees, and he is uh, very well known for his philanthropic endeavors, and especially in the arts in Canada. Uh, and he is also um, has been inducted into the Canadian Mining Hall of Fame for some really good reasons. And I'm really pleased to welcome you, uh, Pierre Lassonde. Thanks for joining us, Pierre. Well, it's my pleasure, Jay. And uh, you've uh, had over the years a terrific show, so it's a real honor for me also to be on your show. Well, that's very kind of you to say that. Um, I, I just, uh, you know, you are recognized as one of the pioneers in the royalty or streaming business. Um, it's easy to look back in the rearview mirror now and say, oh, what a great idea. I, you know, why didn't I think about it? But you were the one that came along and thought about it. You were one of the leaders anyway, the first people to put this model together. What prompted you to see the opportunity back in, uh, in the early 1980s? Well, interestingly enough, uh, my partner, uh, Seymour, came from the oil and gas business, and we were trying to find a way to be in the mining business without having to raise money every month or, you know, every six months. Mm-hmm. And um, he mentioned the um, royalty business and the oil business, and we said, well, you know, I, I've, I've heard of a few royalties around town, but let's try to, let's see if we could buy maybe one or two to give us some cash flow. But I don't think we can actually build a business out of it. But, you know, uh, let's see. At the time, Jay, we didn't know how big the business could be. Uh, I had no idea how many royalties were out there. And as luck would have it, uh, the very first royalty that I ever, ever bought for Two million dollars, I will tell you, was the royalty that ultimately ended up being the royalty on the Gold Strike mine uh, in uh, of uh, Barrick in Nevada. They came in two years after I bought the royalty, and then subsequently found fifty million ounces of gold. And uh, so far, that royalty has paid out over one billion dollars. Wow! <laughs> I know, I know. The, the, the my nickname became Lucky Pierre. Well, it's not just luck, uh, I'm sure, Pierre, but uh, there, there is always, isn't there, an element of luck in the mining mm-hmm. sector. Uh, you, you know, you can have the most brilliant geologist and, uh, and never come up with anything substantial. Uh, you know, no, and then that's somebody absolutely without, true. The, without, the one thing that I love about the mining business is it's really the only business in the world where with one drill hole you can create a billion dollars of wealth. And, yeah. of course, it's not every hole, and it doesn't happen too often, but it's happened to me three times in my lifetime. And uh, you're right. I mean, I, I, I say I'm lucky. I am lucky, but luck is preparation meeting opportunity. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you have to be prepared. You have to do your homework. You know, you talked uh, earlier about, you know, all the degrees that I have, all the 
the hours that I have. I mean, uh, in the book Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell says to be world-class at anything, you need 10,000 hours. He's absolutely right. You need your 10,000 hours. You need to put in the work. And, um, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Uh, Pierre, I think the the mining industry's had a tough struggle for mm-hmm. last number of years. I would say, uh, if I'm not if I'm right, I think the PE ratios for substantial mining companies has tended lower, trended lower over the last number of years. Uh, why do you think the mining sector is having such a rough time? What are the economics that are causing gold mining, in particular, to have such a struggle? Yeah, the uh, XCU versus gold is at the uh, lowest level I have ever seen him in my lifetime. So that just mm-hmm. gives you an idea how unloved the uh, gold stocks are. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, you know, in, in my career, I've seen uh, seven cycles. And uh, what I say to people is that at the bottom of the cycle, there's never, never enough money in the business. And at the top of the cycle, there's way too much money. You uh-huh. know, companies are throwing money at. Because the mining, the gold mining business is a fairly small business, and uh, it doesn't take that many, you know, millions of dollars to make a big, big difference. Right now, it's unloved. The uh, U.S. dollar has been sort of the king of uh, the business world, and gold is the anti-U.S. dollar. So as long as the U.S. dollar is very strong, which it it has been since 2011, the Mm -hmm. gold price has been languishing. Um, But if you think like I do that uh, all those headwinds uh, have become now tailwinds, I think that the U.S. I think that all of the uh, President Trump's, uh, f- uh, you know, trade policies are are anti fundamentally anti U.S. dollars, mm-hmm. um, and um, I think that when you look at the world economy and everything else, the I think the U.S. dollar is finally kind of turning around and heading down vis-a-vis other world currencies. And that in itself is, uh, will, will essentially help the gold price starts to move up again. Pierre, do you think that we need to see uh, an equity market decline of, of substance before we see a gold price that really takes off? In other words, do we need to see well, you, gold is so negatively correlated with most everything else that when people suffer, when the mainstream suffers, it seems as though that's when gold has its day. Uh, and yet we see the Fed, of course, and, and as soon as the stock market starts to fall a little bit, we see a hissy fit thrown at the Federal Reserve chairman, and he has to loosen the strings and start printing more money. Uh, how how long can that go on? And do you see a you see a, that the equity market's needing to decline before we see a real bull market in gold, or can they both go up together? They they can go up together for a while, um, that because. The, the, the correlation between gold and the uh, the market it, it it's a negative one, but uh, it's a, a a bit of spurious one. I mean, it, it happens for a period of time. They can go up together or go down together. The strongest correlation, and it's like ninety percent plus, is really uh, with the U.S. dollar. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, tell me what the dollar is going to do in the next six months, and I'll tell you what the gold price will do. That, mm-hmm. over time, is absolutely the strongest correlation. Now, uh, I know that you've looked at, in fact, I saw you uh, on a video, 
uh, in London, I think, with the Northern Miner. You were a speaker at, a, at some event that the Northern Miner put on, and you showed a chart that uh, uh, a chart that showed the uh, the Dow to gold ratio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know I can remember very clearly 1980. I'm old enough to remember very well when our first mortgage was a 17.5% mortgage and Paul Volcker slammed the brakes on the inflation, essentially, and the dollar um, became very strong uh, later. But, of course, it was a weak dollar, and gold went up to 850 bucks. But there about that time, we saw the Dow fall to about that level, and you had a one-to-one ratio. We had a one-to-one ratio Dow to gold in the 1930s early on. Uh, could you comment on that and, and why that might be important to keep an eye on? Um, I, I love that that uh, chart. I came up with it, actually, when I was writing my uh, 1999 annual report. Mm-hmm. And uh, like today, the gold were on love. Uh, the gold price was down at $250 in those days after uh-huh. being 400 for like almost 20 years and being 800 in 1980. And uh, I just, you know, essentially put a chart up. And when you think about the Dow Gold ratio, it's really the ratio of financial asset vis-a-vis hard assets over time. And when you look at that chart, it, it, it's, it, it becomes really clear to you that there are, you know, long period of time where you should be in financial assets. Mm-hmm. And there are shorter period of time, but very dramatic, when you should really be in hard asset. And uh, also what you notice over 100 years is that, you know, twice in 100 years, the ratio ended up at one to one. And uh, also over time, the ratio uh, increases simply because of economic expansion. So the first, uh, you know, sort of like top in 1929 was around uh, 30 to 1. Uh, and then it, in 1999, when I wrote this thing, the, the ratio was 40 to 1. And uh, it went, uh, in 2011, it went all the way down to 6 to 1. Uh-huh. Uh, when the gold price was 1900 and the Dow was down at 7000 I mean, it was 6 to 1. It's now mm-hmm. over 19 to 1. Mm-hmm. And um, my view is that, you know, uh, when it takes 19 ounces of gold to buy one unit of the Dow, what would you rather own right now? Mm-hmm. And I think the answer is gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it would look that way. Um, and, I, and I'm wondering... Um, you know, you you talked about the correlation of the dollar to the dollar to gold. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, what is your read on the dollar, and are there some uh, maybe what factors would 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 uh, play into your read on the dollar? Well, my read on the dollar is that uh, the Fed has stopped raising rates. Um, it's in pause, so that's uh, a tailwind for gold, uh, negative for the dollar. The, um, all the tariffs that have been put in place by President Trump um, are very costly, and it will lead to inflation, and that's good for gold and not good for the dollar because um, it's uh, going to go down. And then when you look at gold in all currencies, it's going up. So to me, that you know what used to be headwinds for gold is are now becoming all tailwinds, and the opposite for the dollar. So I'm actually quite bullish on gold this year. I think we're going to see um, easily fourteen hundred dollar this year for gold. 
And uh, but it's going to be like you know um, the the slow battle, the the monthly battle, because people don't believe. And uh, until gold gets you know well over fourteen hundred, you I, the the stocks are not going to move that much because people are sitting on the sideline. In their mind, the gold price has not done anything for six years because you mm-hmm. go back to two thousand essentially twelve. Mm-hmm. And the gold price came down from nineteen hundred to um, about you know twelve fifty, and it's been that way for six and a half years, almost seven years. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that the gold price actually bottomed in December two thousand fifteen, and it's been going up for the past two and a half years. Yeah. So I, you know, when when you look at the chart, it's quite bullish. Now it has to go through thirteen fifty five to really. Mm-hmm. You know, indicate that you know this whole six seven year period is over, and I think we'll see that happen sometime in the next few months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Michael Oliver, who I have on this show almost every week, is convinced with this uh, momentum work that he does that we're there, that it's going to happen. Uh, his momentum work usually gets you in a little earlier and gets you out a little earlier, uh, and he's convinced that it's a done deal essentially. But that uh, we do need to get below, above that 1355, 1360 area that you mentioned before the price charters start to get excited about it. So uh, I'm fingers crossed you're right because I have a lot invested in gold. And, of course, this show uh, is uh, about gold to a great extent. I, Pierre, I'd like to ask you about some geopolitical events that are taking place and if, uh, if they might not have something to do with the future of gold as well. I think, you know, you touched on tariffs. That's part of the story. Uh, the uh, the battle with China and so forth that Donald Trump is engaged in. But what do you make of the massive buildup of gold in China and Russia? What do you think that's all about? Why would they be doing that? Well, that's an easy answer. Um, as you, as we all know, gold is the only reserve currency that's not the debt of another country. Mm-hmm. So if you're one of uh, the you know primary country in the world and you don't want to own you know US debt which is dollars mm-hmm. your only really other choice is gold because you know if you're Russia do you really want to own renminbis or mm-hmm. you know euros you can own some euros you can own some yen but these currencies are not traded on, uh, you know, trillions of dollars a day like the dollar, the U.S. dollar is, or gold for that matter. Mm-hmm. So the only other reserve the currency that they of choice is gold, and that's what we've been seeing: central banks buying four or five last year six hundred tons of gold, and that's going to continue for the foreseeable future because. You know, the Chinese are saying, "Why we did, we already have three trillion U.S. dollars, and what are the what is the U.S. doing? They're hitting us over the head every which way. Let's diversify." And Russia, same thing. They don't want to have anything to do. They've sold all their U.S. dollar. They're using gold, and we're going to see. Um, we're seeing Iran and and Pakistan and other countries and Turkey doing exactly the same thing. So. It's interesting because back in the 80s and the 90s, central banks were, you know, huge sellers of gold. In fact, they're the one responsible for bringing the gold price down to its knees in 99 at 250, mainly yeah. the principal cause. 
Now they're doing exactly the opposite. I mean, they were selling gold at $250, $300, and now they're buying it at 1300 Go figure. Yeah, I think it's largely the, uh, not necessarily the Western countries that are doing it, though, Pierre. I, I, I mean, I guess they, they probably, they're certainly not selling now as they were the Bank of England uh, and other banks. But um, I, just, I just wonder because, uh, you know, the geopolitics come into play, it seems to me now. The U.S. has forbid the Bank of England or at least as uh, the Bank of England has honored its request not to send gold back to the current regime in Venezuela. And I wonder what that impact that might have on, on people um, that might not be, that countries that might not be all that friendly to the United States wanting to store their gold in England in the future. Well, you know, the, the gold may not leave England, but it's going to change hand anyway because, yeah. you know, they can do a swap with, uh, you know, with Iran, for example, for, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, the, the ownership is going to change, but the gold is still going to be in the vault. So uh, I don't make too much of that, to be mm-hmm. uh, candid. Um, mm-hmm. And if your vault is in Switzerland, you know, the Swiss, they don't care. Um, yeah. Whatever ownership it is, it is. So the, the, the political event have usually a very short um, lifespan in terms of uh, uh, the gold price. So uh, during the Iranian Revolution or the uh, Iraq War, the gold price went up twenty, forty, sixty dollars yeah. in, no you know, in a day, but it mm-hmm. came right back down. Mm-hmm. See, uh, I think, you know, you have to focus really on the U.S. dollar and what you think, you know, the policies of the current administration are doing to the U.S. dollar to, to you really believe that um, gold's got a, a, good, a good run for this year. Pierre, with just about three minutes left here, I want to ask you, uh, if you were managing Franco Nevada now, or maybe to put it, the question another way, um, what do you look at? When you want to invest in a company, I, I know that you are invested in, uh, I believe you have some holdings, uh, you have a holding in Orla Mining, which is a company that I follow in my newsletter. What, uh, what are you looking for in investments in gold mining companies now? And, uh, and, and could you comment a little bit on um, jurisdictions? Are there some areas that you would definitely not want to, uh, want to put money into? Um, well, just for the record, Jay, I'm still chairman of uh, the New Franco Nevada when we bought back the company in 2008 from Newmont, okay. and uh, we've okay. grown it from uh, $1 billion to uh, $13 billion. So um, we're still very uh, involved in buying royalties, and uh, our best gold royalties are copper mine with gold byproduct because mm. these mines are going to go on for 30, 40, 50 years. And uh, in the case of Franco, Nevada, you know, the whole management team could go to Hawaii for the next 20 years and your dividend is secured. (laughs) Why? Because of these long, long life assets. So when you ask me what I'm looking for, I'm looking for long life assets. That is the, you know, the holy grail of mining. And, um, in, you know, uh, that's what we do in Franco, Nevada. That's what we try to do in Orla. We just have discovered a new copper gold ore body in Panama. It's at this point 40 to 50 million ton, but you know the drills are still turning. The truth machine, as I call them, and yes. uh, we'll see where it goes. But that's really the the holy grail of uh, uh, if you want to ask me. Mm-hmm. 
That sounds. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm very invested in Orla. I, I've, I've put a lot of money in that company. Uh, the uh, we've got top team of uh, management, uh, two really good ore body, one in Mexico that's being de- uh, you know developed, and um, the one in um, Panama we're you know still drilling it, but at some point will also be developed. And uh, I you know in this business when you invest with great people with good assets. You know the cycle will turn, and you're going to make a lot of money. And uh, for sure, your royalty model too brings less risk, I would dare say, than owning shares in a regular company, uh, in a regular mining company. So, as you said, yeah. you don't have to raise money all the time to stay alive. Um, yeah, no, Frank, Franco Nevada probably with uh, first quantum coming into production, we have thirty uh, percent growth this year. Probably another twenty percent growth next year without having to spend a penny. And uh, the, the, the business model, the royalty business model that we created, you know, Jay, if you ask me, it's the best business model on the planet. Your first money is your last money, and then you get exposed to all the discoveries made by the operators of your property. And, you know, we have about 350 properties, 10 million acres, and the best gold trend of this world uh, what does that mean? That means we're going to be lucky. All right. Well, it sounds good. Thank you. We'll have to leave it go at that. Thank you so much, Pierre, for sharing your time with our listeners. It's, it's greatly appreciated, and I hope we can do it again sometime. Well, folks, that is all the time we have this week. Next week, David Stockman, a former congressman and also budget director under President Reagan, will be with us. Amir Adnani of Uranium Energy as well. And with a little bit of luck, Michael Oliver will be back as well. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Often referred to as one of the best teams in junior gold exploration, having discovered a 5 million ounce gold mine and sold a second company amidst discovery, the management behind Orin Resources now has a world-class exploration portfolio within Canada and Peru. Projects that give the company one of the largest direct pipelines for major discoveries globally, with one of the deepest technical teams to explore them. Entering into its third year of aggressive pursuit, Orin is expecting results from two of their major projects throughout the rest of this year. For the latest, head to orinresources.com and subscribe.